Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, grab a Bible. If you need a Bible under a seat close by, you'll find a black Bible under one of those chairs. Get to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the fifth book into the New Testament, and get there with us this morning. And while you turn there, um, a couple things just to, uh, by way of announcement before we jump into the message today. Hey, three weeks from this Sunday is Easter Sunday. Can you believe that? And so um, uh, I know over the next couple weeks, a lot of you will be taken off for spring break and whatnot, so keep this Sunday on uh, a bit uh, in front of you and uh, this is always a great opportunity that we have to uh, invite some people to church who might not know Jesus in a season where they are uh, more open uh, to joining us here on that Sunday. We'll make sure the gospel's clear. And so three weeks from today, Easter Sunday. And then four weeks from today, the week after Easter, is a Sunday that we call around here. We don't do this often, but when we say it, we, we really mean it. It's a Sunday we call 100% Sunday. And so um, this is a Sunday we want everyone, if you call Harvest Bible Chapel your church home, you don't want to miss the Sunday after Easter uh, as we lay out, our pastors and elders lay out before you kind of a a vision and a strategic plan of where we're going in the years to come, including the uh, construction of this permanent facility, uh, Lord willing, on the other side of the football field right there as you walk out. And so a major, major vision will be downloaded to you all that Sunday. And so mark that on the calendar. And uh, if you have plans that Sunday, in love, change them. Because um, you, uh, you'll go, oh, someone will fill me in. Listen, you don't want to hear some of what's going to be reported out that day secondhand. And so uh, get there with us that Sunday on April 8th. Uh- we're here to study God's Word, so get uh, to Acts chapter 3 this morning where we're going to be. And um, while you get there, um, all, of us, all of us have known what it's like to go to an event downtown. Maybe you're heading to Lucas Oil or to Banker's Life Fieldhouse or uh, to the convention center. Uh, you're going to a game. You're going to a, a conference. You're going to a concert. And uh, you know what it's like to park. And um, you park your car. You find a parking garage. And then you join the sea of people on a sidewalk that are moving towards whatever venue this is. And um, as you get on the sidewalk, no doubt all of us have experienced a, a, a sound out ahead of us on the sidewalk there. And joining this is a chorus of, of a repeated refrain. Uh, any change? Any spare change? Any change? Spare change, anyone? And as you get closer, you can see him or you can see her and you can kind of take in how this event is going down. You see about 95% or more of the people, um, as they walk past this person, they, uh, they don't really know what to do with this. They don't even give a glance. They don't even give a look. You just kind of keep walking. And as you're getting closer and closer uh, to the sound of a cup with clanging change and someone standing there holding it and asking for some money, you begin to ask the questions that we all do in our head. What do I do with this? What am I going to do? I, do, do, I, do I reach in my pocket and give anything? Do, do, uh, do I just look and smile and nod and at least acknowledge? Do I just walk past without even acknowledging like the 95% of other people who are walking past this person? All of us know what it's like to go to an event downtown and, um, and kind of have an interaction like this. I bring this up today because as we get into God's Word in Acts chapter 3, this is exactly what we're going to see happen. Uh, Two of the apostles, um, they're going to be going to an event. The event is the hour of prayer. The venue is the temple. And um, the, the person standing there outside the temple is a beggar, and it's a beggar who can't walk. 
And you're going to see these two apostles, Peter and John, they're going to encounter the very same thing that we encounter, only you're going to see a a powerful work of God of how they handle this instance here. And now before we jump into Acts chapter 3, I want to catch us up on where we've been in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts begins, and in Acts 1, eight verses into the book, it sets the entire context for the rest of this book that we're going to be studying. And Acts 1, 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? What's the word? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this one verse is crucial to understand the entire book of Acts. This one verse sets out how the rest of the book is going to be structured. And so uh, Acts 1 through 7 are the apostles' witness in Jerusalem. Acts uh, 8 through 12 is their witness in Judea and Samaria. And then the rest of the book, Acts 13 through 28, is really just a story in church planting, led by the Apostle Paul, all over kind of the known world at the time. And so um, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, the beginning of Acts chapter 2. After the Spirit comes, Peter gets up and he boldly preaches this message. The same guy who denied even knowing Jesus before is now indwelt and filled with the Spirit of God, and he stands up and he goes, hey, listen, y'all, we ain't drunk. Let me tell you what's going on. And he just gets up and he lays out the gospel. 3,000 people get saved, are added to the church. And then last week we saw how, these new, how this new group of Jesus followers begins to live together. And Pastor Joe so beautifully unpacked for us what this uncommon community looks like. What a bunch of common people filled with the Spirit of God will actually look like as they do life together. But there was something in the passage last week in verse 43 that is so crucial for us to understand going into chapter 3 today. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so you have the apostles here doing these wonders and signs uh, in the power of the Spirit of God. And as we turn the book to Acts chapter 3 today, we are going to see one of these wonders and signs. We are going to see uh, what happens when Peter and John uh, encounter this beggar sitting outside the temple gates. And now here's the thing. Um, What does this have to do with us today? We are called by God to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. Uh, Today's passage, I believe, does this. I believe it tells us what it looks like for us to be uncommon witnesses for Jesus Christ. I believe there's two elements we're going to see as we unpack all of chapter 3 here this morning. Two elements that will make us and the life that God has called us to uncommon in our witness for Jesus Christ. Two things that I think Peter and John display beautifully before us here today. And two things that if we leave here and see implemented in great ways in our life will radically change the way we go about living out this mission Jesus has given us. And so today we learn together what it means for us to be uncommon witnesses. But as we turn to it... Let's pray and ask for God's help in this. God, come now, Lord, and speak. Lord, I'm blown away this morning just at this reality that you're a relational God. You are not far off. You are near. You want to instruct us. You want to speak to us. You want to teach us. Lord, you've given us your word that we have sitting before us um, as a way of, for you to communicate what's important in life. God, you want it to lead and guide and direct. Lord, you say that your word will penetrate our heart. 
And it'll change everything about our life, Lord, if we will hear it and we will do it. We will apply it. And so, God, right now, I pray, if there's any distractions in the room, Lord, if there's any distractions in my mind, in any of the minds sitting here, if we're a little just sleepy from the lack of an hour of sleep, Lord, would you shake us awake right now? Because, Lord, for the next half hour, you have something you want to say to us through your word. And it's something that will radically transform our life. God, bring your word to life right now in us. God, bring your word to life right now in us. This is not just ink on a page. This is the living and active word of the living and active God. I beg for your spirit now to work mightily in us as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 3, get there, verse 1 with me. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A little context on this. uh, The Jewish prayer times, three kind of formal prayer times on a typical Jewish day. You had 9 a.m., the third hour. You had the sixth hour prayer time, noon. And then you had the ninth hour or 3 p.m. prayer time. Uh, This is the afternoon prayer time or what they would probably call the evening prayer time. It coincided with the evening sacrifice that would be offered at the temple. And so devout Jews would head to the temple area uh, for these, uh, uh, these formal hours of prayer. And so this is what Peter and John are doing. Verse 2, and a man, a man, what, what's it say? How's it describe the man? Who, what is he? He's lame, and a man lame from birth, he can't walk. A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms or charitable gifts of those entering the temple. Now just get, get to this scene. As Peter and John are walking towards Temple Mount here to go in for the time of prayer, about the same time that they're getting to the gate of the temple, uh, there's a man being carried. He's being carried on a, a mat or he's being carried by people. His, his arms are slung over some people. And, and it says that this is a daily occurrence. Every day, his friends or his family, they scoop up this man and they bring him to the gate of the temple where he is laid daily to ask alms, to to, to ask charitable gifts, to sit there and shake his cup. It says he's lame. He can't walk. How long has he not been able to walk? What's the text say? Since birth. This kid, when he was just a little boy, would watch out the window at all the other kids playing around in the, in the neighborhood. This, 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 this boy would grow up to be a teen and he would sit there on the sidelines and long to watch the sports the other kids his age were playing. He would see the groups of friends walking in packs and he'd wonder what they're talking about because he never experienced what it was like to walk in a pack of friends. And as an adult, what do you think it's like for him every day to be scooped up by family or friends? How, what, what kind of shame or embarrassment sets in as yet once again he's laid there at the gate um, at eye level of people's feet and legs? People's feet and legs that actually work for them. 
And here he is, once again. And I don't know what it was like to live in that time frame, but I do know what it's like to walk downtown with people in a similar boat. 95% of the people just walk by. And here he is, laying there daily. And something crazy is about to happen. Verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Any change? Spare change? And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And so here comes Peter and John. And this guy's laying there. He's asking people of alms. And um, um, as, the, as, as Peter and John go by, he says, hey, um, you got any change? Any spare change for us? And it says that Peter and John, what did, what did, it, what did they do? What's the first thing that it says they did? They fixed their they fix their gaze on him. They, they stop and they look at this man. How uncommon would just that have probably been for this guy? 95% of the people probably not even looking in his direction. Uh, some people just kind of out of obligation, throwing, throwing a couple coins in, but not making eye contact. And here comes Peter and John, and they stop and they fix their gaze on this guy, and they tell him, look at us. Uh, the, the, the indication would be that this man is not even looking at them as they stop. Maybe his eyes are buried into the ground out of shame. Maybe he's already looking to the next group of people to ask for some change from. But they stop, they fix their gaze, and they say, look at us, look at us. And it says that he expects to receive something from them. This guy thought he was about to get some change. In reality, this guy's entire life is about to change. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, what's it say? Rise up and walk. What's this guy thinking when he hears that? When's the last time he's walked? Never. No, no, really, really, think about it. If you're him laying there for your entire life, are you offended actually a little bit that someone would have told you to get up right there? Would your initial reaction have just been to laugh? When, when these two men, they walk up and they say, hey, um, I don't have any money for you. But here's what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What is this guy thinking? He has never known the feeling of putting one, one foot in front of the other. He has never stood in his own strength before. And now two guys he doesn't even know just say, I want you, get up. Get up. And before he can even react to this, um, Peter and John are moving towards him, uh, verse 7. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were what? They're made strong. And leaping up, 
get there. See this scene now. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Get to that scene right now. They walk over, they help this man up, and it says, leaping up. He began walking and leaping and praising God. I don't think as this man got to his feet and went, oh, wow, I'm walking. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate that. I think this guy became undignified in his celebration of this. I think, I think when it says he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God, it is, it is not this just like, oh, wow, cool. You can imagine the scene. Do I need to act it out for us? <laughs> Thought about it. You can imagine the scene of the man the people in the temple area probably didn't even know the name of, but always just referred to as the guy laying outside the beautiful gate. He is the scene. People are going, isn't that? He is the scene. And the scene is making a scene. Walking and leaping and praising God, I can walk. And here he is just through the temple area with Peter and John, praising God that he is walking right now. And then look at what happens here, verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. People are seeing this, and it's attracting a crowd, and the crowd begins to follow. Follow these three guys, a Peter and John and this man who can now walk. And uh, a, a crowd is growing and Peter's about to take an opportunity to speak to this crowd and to unpack what has just happened. But before we get to the second half of chapter three, let me give you the first point. It's this. An uncommon witness for Jesus Christ shows the love of Christ in action. An uncommon witness shows the love of Christ in action. What you have here was two apostles, um, two people who had spent uh, three years with Jesus, who had experienced the love of Christ personally in their own life in such a way that when they're walking into the temple uh, for a normal, their normal, um, uh, faithful Jewish activity of the hour of prayer, something stops them. Compelled by the love of Christ, something stops them. They fix their gaze on this man and they say, hey, here's the deal. We don't have any spare change for you, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And compelled by love for this this lame beggar, this beggar laying there who could not walk, they stop, they fix their gaze, and they pour out the love of Jesus into this man. I love the way one commentator says this. He says, the power, the power to heal, the power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. Think about that. The power was Christ, but the hand was Peter's. 
that as the people of God, as Jesus followers, God in his goodness to us allows us the great privilege of being empty vessels for him to pour out his love onto other people. As we, as we become so overflowing with the love of Jesus poured out in our life in such a way that it overflows to the people around us. And I just got to tell us something, and I know we know this, and I, I know we probably don't need to be reminded of this, um, um, but there is hurting and helpless and desperate, and desperate people all around us, hopeless, lost, looking for someone to show them this love of this awesome Savior that we proclaim. If we just stop and we look and we listen, we see the need and the hurt all around us. It was my Uber driver this week talking to me about the battle of addiction that their son has faced. It was the site outside of the coffee shop downtown I was at, watching a gas station scene of a man stopping at every car that pulled in for gas, asking for money, asking for food. It's the hurt, it's the need of our neighbors, of our family, of our friends who know how to put on a good facade when they're around us. But inside, the, 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 the quietness of their house at night are absolutely torn up inside. And all around us, there are people hurting, helpless, and hopeless, looking to be shown the love of Jesus Christ. I want to just give us today, before we go on to this message Peter's going to preach, uh, three, three ways, three ways that we can show Jesus' love and action to the people around us. The first one is simply this, and this is probably the hardest one, time. This is hands down probably the hardest one. Uh, time is our most valuable asset. Time is our most valuable resource. We all only have a limited number of hours in the day, days in the week, and years to our life. All of us in this room, we don't have time to give everybody in the world all the time in the world, but here's the deal. We do have time this week to give one person all the time in the world. We do have time this week to um, uh, pick up uh, the phone and have a phone call. We have uh, time this week to invite someone to coffee. We have time this week to share a meal. We do have time this week, parents, to go spend one-on-one -on -one time with our kids. We have time this week to meet with a family member who doesn't know Jesus, but time with people is just one of the ways we can show Jesus' love in action the most. Secondly is this, acts of service. When God's people see needs, God's people must step up and meet needs. And I'm not talking about meeting needs in a way that enables people to not change and not grow, but I am talking about when, when, when God's people see needs, God's people step up and meet needs. There's something about coming alongside and, uh, and um, helping a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus move. And moving is like, I'm just convinced moving is going to be in hell, Right? Amen, yes. 
And just like an unbeliever who you barely have a relationship with, like, why are you, help, why are you carrying my couches out of the house right now? I'm just looking for opportunities to serve people. Then thirdly is this, and we know this one, and this one's hard to live out, joyful generosity. I mean, just tangible expressions of showing the love of Christ by, by living in such a way where we do not hold on or hoard the, 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 the things God has entrusted to us, but instead we open our hands and we give it away to people in need. Um, the, the expression of love that happens when a couple goes, um, hey, I want you to have this car. What do you mean you want me to have your car? Well, we've just been thinking and praying about this. We have three cars for two drivers in the house. You have one car for two drivers in the house. And we thought, why don't we take our extra car and give it to you so that you can have two cars? The radical expression of showing the love of Christ just through tangible acts of generosity like this, and maybe you're going, not a great illustration, but I'm not really in a place to give a car away. It doesn't have to be at the level of giving a car away. I'm leaving a family's house one time. I have my two-year-old with me. And my, you know, like when you take your kids to other people's house, your two-year-old's just trying to steal all the toys of the other kids as you're going out. I'm like, okay, Kason, it's time to give the toys back. And to watch this older boy look at my two-year-old and say, it's okay, he can have them. Not out of an act of duty, not because mom and dad were looking there like, son, you should really do this. Out of the generosity that welled up in this own boy's heart to say, no, 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 no. He can have them. I'm telling you, 30-year-old man's walking out a little misty-eyed after watching that interaction happen right there. There's something about the joyful, the joyful, not out of duty, the joyful act of generosity that unbelievers especially look at is so counterculture and they go, what just happened? And you see this here, that before Peter ever starts to preach here, he has just stopped, they've fixed their gaze, they said, I don't have any money for you, but here's what I do have. In the name of the Lord Jesus, rise up and walk, and they just pour out the love of Christ on this guy. But we're talking about an uncommon witness. We're talking about an uncommon witness here this morning. And this uncommon witness, we said from the outset, is a twofold thing. It has two elements to it. To just stop there and pour out generously on people and just love people in action, it leaves this whole witness thing wanting, longing for something more. And what's the second part of this uncommon witness? Uh, write it down. Uh, point two is this. An uncommon witness then tells, then tells, then tells of the love of Christ in word. Look at what happens. Now, you can imagine the scene in the temple area. This guy who everyone's been seeing there laying, not able to walk, laying there for years, is now upright and walking, and he's yelling, and he's praising God, and the crowd has formed. Verse 11, look what it says. While he, the man who's been healed, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. It's a part of Temple Mount, uh, kind of a, uh, there was an overhang, there were columned areas. It's where a lot of times the rabbis would walk through for shade and they'd be teaching as they walked through. This is where Peter and John and this guy are and the crowd is flocking to them in Solomon's portico. Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people and look at what he says. Men of Israel, 
Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? A translation. Peter goes, um, um, can I help you guys? Why are you looking at us? Why, why are you looking at us as though we did this? The very first thing Peter does here, and it's so crucial if we're going to be an uncommon witness for Jesus Christ, the first thing he does is deflect glory away from himself and onto Jesus. Remember, the greatest purpose of the Holy Spirit is to shine the spotlight on who? On Jesus. And when God's people live in a spirit-filled way and pouring out and and showing um, uh, uh, tangible acts of Jesus' love and action, the greatest thing we can do if we're going to be an uncommon witness for Jesus Christ is deflect the glory, deflect the praise people will want to give to you and to point them vertically to Jesus, to take the spotlight and go, where's Jesus? Because he's the one at work here. And then look, um, uh, it's, it's going to be all Jesus. Here we go. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And Peter just straight takes this opportunity and goes, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what has really happened here. And led by the Spirit of God, he takes the spotlight and he moves it on Jesus, the one who did the healing power here before them. Uh, Under there, write this down. An uncommon witness tells of the love of Christ and word. Tell them about Jesus. If we're going to be an uncommon witness for Christ, we got to tell people about Jesus. Listen, listen. I know that seems obvious, right? But you and I both know this. It's really easy sometimes to, hey, you know, God has been good and, and, and God and, and the man upstairs and we kind of leave the conversation in more generics about God. Listen, say the name. Say the name. Why are you, why are you treating me like this? Why are, you, why are you loving me like this? Because we love you because we know this. Jesus loves you. Say the name. That whole Uber ride, after a Pacers game, I was uh, speaking to a group of teenagers, got to share the gospel with them Friday night after the Pacers game, and I jump in this Uber, and and the the driver's like, so what, you know, the game left out, you know, a long time ago, what are you doing? Well, I had a chance to uh, speak to a, a group of teens, and they're like, what were you talking about? And just confessing as your pastor. It's like midnight, I'm like, I'm tired. Do I leave this generic and just go, oh, about God and stuff? Or do I say the name? Because I know as soon as I say the name, uh, the name of Jesus is a polarizing name. And there's probably going to be a great conversation that starts. And yeah, I'm sitting in the back seat going, say the name, say the name. I'm, 
I was actually talking to them about who Jesus was and what it means to know Jesus. If we're going to be an uncommon witness for Christ, we got to be willing to say the name of Jesus, to tell people about Jesus. And Peter, um, uh, don't you wish Peter like, would have been more direct here, right? No, no, let me tell you about Jesus. You killed him. Yeah, you killed him. Like there is no ambiguity about what Peter's trying to do right here. He's telling them about Jesus, but then this gets beautiful. Uh, Don't leave it at just telling them about Jesus. A lot of people, especially in our culture, they've heard the name of Jesus. They've heard about Jesus. They have intellectual understanding about Jesus, but take it one layer deeper if we're going to be an uncommon witness for Christ. Pick it up, verse 17. Peter doesn't just tell them about Jesus. He says, and now, brothers... And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Now, verse 19 gets into the application. You told me about Jesus. What am I supposed to do with this Jesus? Verse 19, here it is. You ready? If you're here today, listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, If you're here today and you're not a Christian, first of all, we're so glad you're here. And if you're like, this church thing is uncomfortable for me, you got to know this. It was uncomfortable for all of us the first time we just did what you guys are doing here today. And it was uncomfortable for us when you walked in and all of a sudden this big group of people are singing songs in a way and they're raising their hands. And let me tell you something, it's because of what we're about to read right here that you're seeing this group of people act the way they do. They haven't just, we haven't just heard about Jesus. There's something that Jesus has done to grip our heart personally. And Jesus can grip your heart personally right here this morning. And it all has to do with what's going to be said in verse 19. He says, repent. Repent, therefore. And turn back. That your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. You're like, what did that just say? Um, um, Let's unpack that. Because if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this one verse can radically change everything about your life walking out of here today. Peter stood up and he said, I need to tell you about Jesus. Okay, you just saw this man get healed. Now, let me put it into context. There's this man. He's a savior. He's God come in flesh. His name is Jesus. It's by his power that this man was healed. And now he says, I don't want to just tell you about Jesus. There's something you need to do with Jesus. Second subpoint under there, tell them about their need to turn to Jesus. He says, you need to repent. What, that's, a, that's a churchy word. What does it mean to repent? It means that you, as you walk in here today, you've been walking down one direction for your life. And the king of your life has been yourself. And it's okay. If I'm offending you, guess what? We all had to be offended with that truth at one point. The king of my life, pre-19 years old, and Jesus saving me was me. And listen, I thought I made a pretty good king, but here's the deal. I was a lousy king. I was a bad savior for myself. And so you're walking down and you're just living for yourself and you're living for what God calls sin and you just want to do whatever makes you feel the best in the moment and God is calling you today to repent. It means you turn around. 
It means you, you now see Jesus for who he is and you go, I'm having a change of mind and I'm having a change of attitude about who Jesus is and I want him. I want him to be king. My life, frankly, it stinks with me as king. I need a new king. And this king is Jesus. And God is calling you today to turn around and trust this new king. And then it says something beautiful. What will happen in your life if you do that? The next part of verse 19. Look at what it says. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be what? That your sins may be blotted out. That your sins, literally, another way that could be, that your sins may be obliterated. That your sins may be wiped away. When your two-year-old's magna doodle can make a point better than you, use the magna doodle. So I need some help here. And be bold. It's okay. Life-defining sins for you before you knew Jesus. Let's go. Pride. What? Fear. Selfish. One over here. Addiction. Anger. Lust. Jealousy. Anxiety, fear, worry, strife, coveting. I want what my neighbor has. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins There's literally what this is saying. Hear me now if you don't know Jesus. You've walked into here and the tablet of your life has all of this junk covering it. And guess what? All of our life, the Bible says we were all in that boat. And the great news, the good news of this Jesus thing is this, that your life that at one time was defined by all of this junk written on it, it says when the moment you turn to Jesus Christ... Your sins are blotted out. They're wiped away. You are no longer held in condemnation before God for that. And I know what you're thinking. It's the same thing my roommate, the freshman year of college, says that is too good to be true. You don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. I don't know about that one season of your life where you just, you really got crazy. And I don't know about that one night where that thing happened. But here's what I do know. I know what I've done. And I know the things I've done that no one else knows that I've done. And there had to come a time in my life where I understood and it really sunk into my heart that God knows. He saw it and he sees it. And guess what? He still loves me the same. And he said, come on, Brock. Come on, Brock. Lord, even for that? Even for the two-month two span, my sophomore year of high school, when you, you know, you know, and mom and dad don't even know, but you know, yeah, even for that. Come on, Brock. Watch me obliterate your sin. Watch me apply the work that I did on the cross by dying for you. Watch me to apply that personally to your life when you will call on me in faith. Come on, Brock. I'm just talking to a guy this weekend. 
He's sharing the gospel with someone. They live in kind of a more, a more inner city, impoverished area. And, and, and a, a young girl comes up to him, a teenage girl, and she says, um, hey, you're saying all the time that Jesus can forgive you for anything. And he's like, he, he can, I believe it. She goes, what happened if you shot someone and you didn't kill him, but you've paralyzed him for life? And for this man to be able to say, look at me. When he died on the cross, he died even for that. And so if you're here today, and you've never called on this Jesus in faith, God's calling you today to repent. He's calling you to turn. He's calling you to trust him. And he's calling you and he's saying, I can wipe, I can obliterate, I can completely remove your sin. But then it gets better, it gets better, it gets better. It's not just what he's taking away. It's not just that he's wiping it away. You ready for the better part? Come on, church, say yes. yes. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Then he replaces, he takes away all the junk, he wipes it clean, and he writes a new word on the tablet of your life. Look, keep reading the verse, and he says this. Um, um, oh, come on, God, give me back to that verse. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of what? That times of what? Say it. The times of refreshing from, where does the refreshing come from? From the presence of the Lord. Some of you need a refreshing in here today. You're tired and you need rest. You're hopeless and you need hope. You're tortured and you need relief. Let me tell you something. Our good and gracious God does not just wipe the sin slate clean. He then replaces it by giving us his very spirit who dwells in us. And for the first time in our life, we can know rest. We can know relief from the torture. We can know freedom from the sin that used to dominate us. The shackles of the addiction can be let loose. And this is what Jesus offers to us. I've just got to say, if you're in here today and you're not a Christian, the Bible tells you that all of this can be applied to your life right here this morning if you will call on this Jesus in faith. What does that mean? It means when I pray or when our worship team sings, you there right in your seat can go, okay, Lord, I've been my own king. I've been my own God. I see today I need to turn. I need to repent. God, you know the sin that dominates my life. I need that obliterated today by Jesus. Jesus, today I surrender. If you're here today and you know this Jesus, do you remember? Do you remember what it was like when Jesus came to rescue you? Do you remember that? Raise your hand if you remember that. I didn't clear this with you, but I love your story. Just even my wife, her freshman year at college, 
had grown up in a Christian home, had heard this message how many umpteen millions of times growing up. But the Lord waking her up one morning, bringing her over to her desk in her dorm room. I always joke with her. She grabbed her Bible. She had to blow the dust off it. And she opened it up before her. And Jesus Christ gripped her heart. It went from head knowledge to a heart thing. The love of Christ shone out to who to her, poured out to her, finally gripped her heart. I just say to us, do you remember that fire of the early days of walking with Jesus? Do you remember that? You, you, you just told everyone, hey, can I take your order here? Yeah, can I tell you about Jesus? Stoke the fire again. That Savior is still as good today as he was decades ago when he saved you. The gospel is still as powerful as it was then. And stoke the fire of that uncommon witness for Jesus Christ to pour out tangible acts of showing the love of Jesus. And then as you do, coming alongside and say, now can I tell you about the one that's the heart of why I'm doing what I'm doing to you. An uncommon witness calls us to show and tell the love of Jesus.